welcome each of you to tonight's Citizens Climate University. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight's focus is on home electrification and efficiency opportunities from the Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to be focusing on electrifying our homes and other buildings as a win-win-win solution. We know that we can reduce our monthly energy bills by switching to clean performing and more efficient electric technologies and improve our family's health by reducing the amount of fossil fuels we're burning in homes and the associated air pollution they create. And of course, doing so will also have the additional co-benefit <laughs> of reducing climate pollution and thus slowing global warming. So we're gonna jump right in being hosted by the wonderful research coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby, Dana Chutelli. Dana has a BA in astrophysics from UC Berkeley and an MS in physics from UC Davis. He's an environmental scientist that has written for many years for organizations from Skeptical Science, one of my early personal favorites, to The Guardian and Yale Climate Communications. He is also a recipient this year of the SEAL Award. I'll let Dana speak to that. And he has authored 10 peer-reviewed climate science papers. We're so lucky to have Dana with us tonight walking through his overview for these many benefits. Again, please put your questions in the chat with any questions that you might have that you came tonight wanting to learn. I'll put a link where you can follow along with tonight's slides. Thank you all so much for being here and the floor is yours, Dana. Great, thanks, Brett. So tonight we're gonna talk about uh, home electrification opportunities from the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so these slides, I'm hoping people will use them. We got a copy of them available uh, on the CCL website. We've got some links to it uh, that Brett will put in the chat. And so uh, our agenda is going to be talking about a little bit of background, why we sh people should go electric, and then going through each of the different technologies, heat pump space heaters, water heaters, induction stoves, home weatherization, EVs, and rooftop solar and batteries, and the incentives available for each in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and so this is a really important component of our building electrification and efficiency policy area um, because we've got the money available in thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, the money is there, we've got the technologies ready to go, it's just a matter of getting people to implement these technologies, these electric and efficiency upgrades, and so that's why we're trying to do these educational efforts and why we're making these slides available for everybody to hopefully do some local presentations and educate their communities so that people deploy these uh, solutions that will help curb climate change and have all kinds of other benefits. And so speaking of those benefits, uh, as Brett mentioned, home electrification and efficiency is a win-win-win. It saves us money on our monthly uh, utility bills. Uh, according to Rewiring America, American households will save $1,800 uh, per year on average by taking advantage of all of the different incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act for home efficiency and electrification. Uh, it's also great for our health because not surprisingly, burning fossil fuels inside your home, it's not so good for the air, it's not so good for your health. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. And of course, good for the climate because we don't wanna be burning fossil fuels, period. So if we can electrify our appliances, we're reducing our fossil fuel consumption and thus slowing climate change. 
So great uh, different wins there. So just as a little background on the money savings point, uh, this is a chart I put together. It's illustrating the percentage change in uh, US household electricity bills over the past uh, two decades or so. You can see it's very stable. There's a little bit of a jump uh, during the pandemic, but not a particularly large one, uh, especially when you compare it to natural gas prices, which are much more volatile, a lot of big spikes up and down. You can see a very, very, very big spike during the pandemic. That was one of the contributors to the inflation during the time. And there's a similar story for gasoline, very, very unstable prices going up and down. Again, especially during the pandemic, we had that really big spike of gas prices just going through the roof. So the point being that if we electrify our appliances and our transportation, we're switching from these unstable prices to this much more stable prices, which then uh, makes our monthly bills much more reliable in addition to being lower on average. Uh, and I've got one slide in here on the Inflation Reduction Act uh, background in case you're talking to like a general audience. You know, a lot of people just aren't familiar with the bill or what's in it. Um, so signed into law last August, uh, about $400 billion worth of investments in climate solutions. Uh, so it's got stuff for electrifying our homes and our cars. And so if you electrify your car, you can save uh, over $500 per year thanks to lower costs of fueling an EV than fueling a gasoline car. Uh, the IRA is also estimated to save households $200 per year just thanks to electricity costs being lower because we're gonna get a whole bunch of hopefully solar panels and wind turbines that produce very low cost electricity. And then the part we're talking about tonight uh, the most is the rebates and the tax credits that the Inflation Reduction Act has available for electrification and efficiency. Uh, and this is a really nice illustration of all of those uh, incentives, the rebates and the tax credits that are available through the Inflation Reduction Act made by this uh, climate artist, Nicole Kellner. Uh, so this is a really useful thing. It's kind of eye-catching. Like I would recommend potentially like getting a copy of this for tabling because like people see this and they want to come over and take a look and bring them over to your table. Then you can talk about here's all the great stuff available through the Inflation Reduction Act. And here's, let me tell you some more about CCL. Um, so you can go to her website, NicoleKellner.com. Uh, Brett will put it in the chat. And you can, from there, print a paper copy or a, a, a framed copy or print a copy on uh, a metal backing for you know robustness for tabling. So that's a nice thing that's available if you're interested. Well, we're going to go through, through all of those one at a time in these slides. And then, of course, we've also got the Rewiring America's IRA Savings Calculator, uh, which we've got the short URL available for, cclusa.org slash IRA-calc. We'll take you over to it. Uh, and as we previously discussed in other trainings, uh, you put in your household information, and it tells you exactly which of the incentives that are available to you that you can take advantage of, whether the tax credits or rebates, how big they are, and so on and so forth. So I'm going to be referencing this uh, several times in the slides tonight because it's such a great resource. But again, we're going to go through all of these one by one. Uh, and so just to frame it, to categorize it, uh, the Fairfax County, Virginia CCL chapter made this really useful illustration that the IRA homeowner incentives are kind of categorized in two different buckets. There is the tax credit bucket and the upfront rebates bucket. And so we're going to talk about both of those. 
And the way we like to think about it is that they comprise our home electrification bank account for each household. And so the bank account's got the tax credit bucket and the upfront rebates bucket. So the tax credits are already available. And the way you uh, get them is in your annual tax returns. So like if you do something that gets a tax credit this year, when you file your taxes early next year uh, for this year's uh, activities, then you will you put in like, I got a heat pump this year and there's this much tax credit for that. So you have to be a little bit patient because you have, you'll be buying the appliance this year, but you'll get the tax credit in your annual filing early next year. Um, one important point is that these are non-refundable tax credits, meaning that, for example, if I have, if I owe $500 next year in my uh, annual federal taxes, but I have a $1,200 tax credit from the IRA because I installed a heat pump, for example, I can only offset that $500 that I owe. The other $700 I can't get. And then in the tax credits, there are kind of three categories. There is energy efficiency and uh uh, electrification home improvement tax credits. Those are generally 30% tax credits, 30% uh, of the cost of the appliance. Uh, and then it's up to $2,000 per year for heat pumps, space and water heaters combined together. It's up to $1,200 per year for other upgrades. We'll go through these one at a time and on subsequent slides. And one nice thing is that those tax credits reset every year. So you can you know, get your tax credits for one year and then you buy appliances the next year you get tax credits for those again and you keep doing it if you spread out your uh, appliance upgrades then there is the rooftop solar and battery storage tax credit that's also 30 percent and there is a complicated electric vehicle tax credit we'll talk about these all in details in detail in subsequent slides then there are the upfront rebates uh talking again about our need for patience those are not yet available they will probably be available around early 2024 uh, the issue is that each individual state's energy office has to set up a program with the department of energy to demonstrate that the people in their state who are applying for these rebates qualify for them uh, and so that process of setting up those programs takes some time and so we expect the states to be uh, have those programs set up around the you know beginning of next year. It's hard to say exactly, but it's going to be some months yet before the rebates are available and they're not retroactive. They won't be available until those programs are set up. So you just have to wait for the rebates uh, to be available. Those rebates are kind of in two categories in two bills that were included in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, one of them is called the High Efficiency Electric Home Rebate Act. I'm going to call it HERA. Uh, which has up to $14,000 per household. And it's for low-income households and middle-income households. So if you're a low-income household, which is under 8% of your local median income, then your upgrade costs, it will cover 100% of your upgrade costs up to a certain point. And if you're a middle-income household, which is 80 to 150% of the local median income, then this HERA will cover 50% of your appliance upgrade costs up to a certain point. And how do you know where your medium local medium income is? Again, the easiest thing to do is just to use the Rewiring America calculator. It will tell you what you qualify for. Or if you go to our training page uh, on the uh, Inflation Reduction Act for homeowners, uh, there's a couple links in there if you want to really dive into details about what your local median income looks like. And then the other category of rebates, it's called the Homeowner Managing Energy Savings Homes Act. Uh, and so that one, basically, if you do some modeling for potential upgrades to your home and figure out how much it would increase your home uh, energy efficiency, 
based on that number, you can get a certain rebate uh, for your project. That will be most relevant to high income households because you can only do one or the other. And the HIHRA is very good for low and middle income households. And so high income households who don't qualify for HIHRA will be most of the people probably who are applying for the homes rebates. And again, we'll go into these in more detail. So uh, just as some background when talking about how we can reduce our home uh, carbon footprints, uh, this is a nice chart from the EIA showing where our household energy use comes from and uh, in terms of appliances and sources. And so you can see the big bars is the big energy consumption. It mostly comes from space heating and water heating. And the light blue is natural gas that we want. That's what we want to replace uh, with electricity. Electric appliances, those again, the big ones are space heating and water heating. So those, that's kind of like the low hanging fruits is to replace our fossil fuel space heating and water heating with uh, electric alternatives. And the good news is we've got a great technology that does that for both heat, uh, space heating and water heating. That's the heat pump. And what heat pumps do is they use electricity just to move heat around basically. So they're taking heat from the outside and moving it inside and vice versa. They can do both cooling and heating. And they are super, super efficient because they're just moving heat around. They're not creating it. Uh, as burning fossil fuel does, then you're trying to create heat. And also when you're burning fossil fuels, you tend to lose a lot of heat to the surrounding air. And so it's a very inefficient process, whereas moving heat around with a heat pump is very, very efficient. And so heat pump uh, space heaters are about three to five times more efficient than most current fossil fuel heating systems. Because of that, they save a lot of energy on monthly utility bills. And of course they reduce emissions that is true even with the current electric grid. That's a question we often get is like, currently we get a lot of our electricity from coal and natural gas. So if I get an electric heat pump, am I really gonna be reducing my emissions if my electricity, some of it's coming from fossil fuels? The answer is yes, you're still reducing your emissions in most cases, in almost every case, because heat pumps are just so, so efficient. Uh, even you know using some fossil fuel electricity, you're still uh, have reducing your greenhouse gas emissions by using a heat pump. Uh, as I mentioned, they'll, they'll uh, lower your energy bills because of your efficiency. Um, how much they lower your energy bills depends on what your current uh, heating system and cooling system comes from. Um, but you're talking about somewhere on the order of hundreds of dollars per month, again, depending on what you use. So energy savings and money savings are also a good thing in addition to slowing climate change. Another question we often get is, will heat pumps work in cold climates if they're moving heat around and the heat outside is, or the temperature outside is cold, then how is it going to heat my home? Um, and so the answer is that, yes, they work in cold climates. Even when the temperatures are cold outside, there is still some heat in the air that the heat pump can move inside. Uh, there are units, uh, cold climate heat pumps that work down to very low temperatures. There's a Mitsubishi unit that works down to minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, some U.S. companies are working on units that will go below 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Also, some of the countries with the most heat pump uh, heat pumps installed are Norway, Sweden, and Finland, and also Estonia, which are all very, very cold countries. These are cold Nordic countries, and so like that's kind of real-world proof that heat pumps work even in cold climates. And actually, Maine right now, which is the fourth coldest state in the country, just slightly uh, warmer than Brett's home state of, of uh, Minnesota, which is the third coldest uh, state. Uh, Maine is doing a really big push to install heat pumps to replace a lot of heating oil, expensive heating oil systems. And so in 2021, 
Maine installed 27,000 heat pumps, which is 5% of the homes in Maine in just one year. And they're aiming for 100,000 heat pumps installed in Maine in 2025, and they're well on the way. Also in Alaska, there's been a push to install heat pumps. So there's a lot of real world proof that they work even in cold climates. So let's talk about the IRA incentives. Uh, again, there's HERA. Once it gets uh, the program gets uh, put into place in approximately 2024, there will be an upfront discount for heat pump space heaters up to $8,000. Again, for low-income households, it will cover 100% of that upgrade cost up to $8,000. And for middle-income households, it will cover 50% up to $8,000. So for example, for middle-income household, installs a heat pump and it costs $16,000, they get $8,000 of that covered by the upfront rebate. And then there are the tax credits. I'm going to put the section of the tax code in here just to kind of distinguish the different uh, tax rebates, but you don't need to know that. It's not important information, it just helps me kind of distinguish the different ones. And so in section 25C of the, uh, the tax code, there is a 30% tax credit for space heat pump uh, space heaters up to $2,000 that is available to everybody regardless of your income bracket. So if you install a heat pump and let's say it costs $6,000, then 30% of that is roughly $2,000. And so you get $2,000 back. Most heat pumps are gonna cost more than that. So basically it's a $2,000 uh, tax credits uh, that you will apply for in the following year in your annual taxes. So next one we got is heat pump water heaters, which work very, very similar to heat pump space heaters, uh, transferring heat usually from the surrounding air into the water heater to heat the water. Again, very, very efficient, two to three times more efficient than most current water heating systems. And so because of that efficiency, that translates to hundreds of dollars per year in energy savings for the average household trans transitioning from, for example, a, a natural gas uh, water heater. A uh, very similar story on the incent on the uh, IRA incentives here. Again, there's HERA uh, that will be in effect in about 2024. Once it's in effect, there will be up to a $1,750 upfront uh, rebate for heat pump water heaters. Oops, sorry, go back. Uh, again, 100% coverage up to $1,750 for low-income households, 50% covered for middle-income households. And then there is the same 25C uh, section tax credits. So that is $2,000 for whatever heat pumps you buy in a given year, and it resets every year. So it might make sense if you need to get both a heat pump space heater and a heat pump water heater to do them in separate years. That both spreads out your costs, and then you could apply for the same tax credit in two different years because it will have reset in the other year. So you can get a heat pump space heater in 2023, a heat pump water heater in 2024, and apply for that same tax credit both times. Then we got electric stoves. Uh, there's two different kinds. There's our traditional electric resistance stoves, which heat up the elements on the, the surface of the stovetop. And then that element, you put the pan on and it heats the pan or the pots. And then we've got induction stoves, which are the flat ones. Uh, that's the one where they basically use a magnetic field to transfer energy to the pan or the pot. And then the pan of the pot heats up from that magnetic field. So these are both much more efficient than gas stoves are. Induction stoves are a little bit more efficient than electric the tradi traditional electric resistance stoves, but not a whole ton more efficient. Uh, the benefits of induction stoves are that they heat things up very fast. Uh, the heat applied is a very accurate, so you can change the heating uh, very precisely. 
Uh, they're also very safe because the surface is not getting hot. It's the pan that's getting hot, not the surface itself. And so like you can put your hand on it, you're not going to burn yourself, unlike uh, a resistance stub, which you could potentially burn yourself. Um, the benefits of both types in comparison to a natural gas stove is that they're much healthier. Uh, you don't have any methane gas that you're burning inside your kitchen with your face right in front of the burner. Uh, and so you're getting less indoor air pollution that you and anybody in your kitchen is breathing. Uh, there's been a number of studies on the health effects of gas stoves. Uh, there was a really good 2013 meta-analysis that looked at 41 different studies and found that kids that are living in homes with gas stoves had a 42% higher risk of asthma symptoms and a 24% higher risk of being diagnosed with asthma over their lifetimes. And then there was just the study last December that got a whole lot of media attention that found that in the United States, where we have about 35% of our homes using gas stoves, uh, those are associated with 6 to 19% of childhood asthma cases. Uh, their best estimate was like 12.7%, but there's a lot of uncertainty in there. So 6 to 19% of childhood asthma seems to be associated with uh, the use of gas stoves indoors. So if you can get rid of it and use an electric version, it's gonna be better for your health, which again, makes sense because burning fossil fuels indoors is generally not a good idea. So what are the incentives? Uh, in the case of electric stoves, there are no tax credits. There will only be the HERA upfront discount once those are in place, again, in roughly 2024. There will be up to an $840 rebate uh, for an electric stove upgrade from a natural gas or whatever the other fossil fuel uh, options are. So again, 100% coverage for low-income households, 50% coverage for middle-income households, up to $840 for upgrading a fossil fuel stove to an electric stove. Uh, really quickly, there is the same um, incentive to upgrade to a heat pump clothes dryer if you have a fossil fuel, like a natural gas, for example, uh, clothes dryer. If you have an electric heat, uh, currently have an electric dryer and you're trying to upgrade it, then that the, the HERA discounts won't apply. They only apply for replacing a fossil fuel appliance with an electric appliance. But if you have a natural gas dryer, for example, and you want to upgrade to an electric version, there is the same $840 uh, upfront discount once HERA goes into effect if you are a low-income or a middle-income household. So then the next one we're going to talk about is home weatherization, which is basically some steps you can take to reduce the amount of energy required to heat and cool your home. Uh, that can involve air sealing, insulation upgrades, door and window upgrades, and ventilation improvements. And a good way to figure out what is best for your home is to get energy audits, uh, which is basically when you get an expert to come into your home, they look at, you know, you know what your, you know, what your uh, ventilation looks like and whether there are cracks that air is leaking out of and what your appliances are, whether they're fossil fuels or electric and so on. And they'll say, they'll give you kind of a list of things that you can do to improve your home energy efficiency. And there is a 30% tax credits up to $150 for a home energy audit. So for example, if you get a home energy audit that costs uh, $450 or so, then you can get a $150 tax credit on your taxes for that. Uh, it's a great thing to do because it saves energy and it saves money. Uh, up to 20% of the money spent on home energy by the average American household is wasted due to air leaking out of the, out of the home. 
And so if you can weatherize your home, that's going to reduce that air leakage and it's going to reduce your energy waste and thus reduce your energy bills. That's especially true for low-income households, which tend to have older, leakier homes. And low-income households also spent a disproportionately high uh, percentage of their income on energy bills. And so low-income households could save up to 35% on their energy bills through weatherization projects like these. So the IRA incentives here, again, we've got HERA uh, with the upfront discount that applies to insulation, to air sealing, and to ventilation costs for projects up to $1,600. Again, once HERA becomes available, again, 100% coverage uh, up to $1,600 for low-income households and 50% coverage uh, for middle-income households. And for all households, there is also a tax credit, Section 25C of the tax code. Uh, which is now available, and it also resets every year, and it's worth up to $1,200 per year. And so it covers $150 for the home energy audits, as I mentioned. It also covers $1,200 uh, for insulation and air sealing, $250 per door for up to two doors, and $600 for windows. So, for example, because it resets every year, you can upgrade your insulation and air sealing in one year and get $1,200 tax credit that year, next year you can do some door and window upgrades and get a $1,200 tax credit that year and spread out your uh, your upgrades so you keep qualifying for these tax credits every year if you want to do it that way. And then there I mentioned the HOMES Act is the alternative to HIHRA if you're not a low or middle income household. Uh, and, and so in this case, uh, you have to get somebody to model what's a uh, upgrade project, how much that will increase your home energy efficiency. And if you're increasing your home energy efficiency through this project of 35% or more, then you get the lesser of a $4,000 upfront rebate or 50% of whatever the project costs are. And if you have a lesser energy savings, then the rebates go down from there. A nice benefit is that for low-income households, those rebates are doubled up to 80% of the project costs, but most low-income households are going to use HERA. Um, so one... Um, one way that that could be applied is if you're a low-income household and you use something like electric baseboard heating, uh, which is very inefficient, but it is electric. And so because electric, upgrading that can't uh, qualify for HERA. And so if you want to upgrade your electric baseboard inefficient heating to a heat pump, then you could potentially qualify for the HOMES Act if you model how much that will upgrade your home uh, efficiency along with potentially other upgrades, then you might qualify for the for the Homes Act, you have to kind of figure out, is the Homes Act better for me? Is the HEFRA uh, better for me? But in most cases, it's going to be low-income and middle-income households will probably use HEFRA, and high-income households will probably use the Homes Act. So then we got EVs, electric cars. Uh, they are more efficient than gasoline cars, and thus they save money uh, because they are more efficient in their fuel use. Uh, they have about one-third of the fuel cost per mile as gasoline cars, depending on where you live and what your electricity and gasoline costs uh, look like, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. And then they also have much lower maintenance costs because they have much fewer parts that can break. They don't require oil changes. They have regenerative braking, and so you don't have to change the brake pads. And so their maintenance costs are about half of the maintenance costs of a gasoline-powered car. They're also better for the health and the environments because they don't produce any tailpipe pollution. And so that's especially good for communities living uh, near high traffic roads. They're not breathing the tailpipe pollution from a bunch of cars driving by. They have lower lifetime greenhouse gas emissions as we'll see on the next slide. 
Uh, and people often ask, what about the mining for the metals to get the components for the battery, like lithium, for example? So one, so it is true that mining has environmental impacts. The good thing is that the mining only has to happen once. You mine for the lithium and the other metals, and you put together the battery, and then you're done. And then you're just filling up that battery on electrons, and hopefully those electrons are mostly coming from clean electricity. And then at the end of the life of the battery, you can disassemble it and recycle the battery of the the metals into a new battery. Whereas if you're driving a gas-powered car, well, you have to get more and more gasoline by drilling for more and more oil and refining it and transporting it and then burning it, and then the cycle never ends. And so it's a big difference between making a battery once and constantly burning and drilling for and burning more oil. And so it is much better for the environment overall. And as I mentioned, electric cars have a much lower carbon footprint than gasoline-powered cars. Uh, this is a nice map from a report by the Union of Concerned Scientists looking at the average uh, miles per gallon equivalent in terms of greenhouse gas emissions in every region of the country based on a local power grid mix. Uh, so you can see it ranges anywhere between 37 miles per gallon to 247 miles per gallon equivalents uh, for your uh, average uh, EV. And on average across the country, EVs get the equivalent of 91 miles per gallon uh, in terms of their greenhouse gas emissions, which most cars don't get 91 miles per gallon. So that is a big upgrade in terms of reducing our climate pollution. So uh, I mentioned the EV incentives are pretty complicated. There are no rebates, they're just tax credits. And the tax credits are in section 30D of the tax code. And it is up to $7,500 for new EVs if the EVs are assembled in North America and if they meet a whole bunch of criteria. So for a car, the price has to be less than $55,000. For a van, SUV, or truck, it has to be less than $80,000 uh, sticker price. And then there's also the question of crossovers. Uh, like for example, the Tesla Model Y is a crossover SUV. And so initially Tesla actually reduced the price of the Model Y to $55,000 to qualify for that uh, auto uh, tax credit. And then the federal government said, well, crossovers, we're actually going to call them SUVs. And so now the Model Y qualifies for the SUV tax credit up to $80,000. So it'll be interesting to see if, ta if Tesla uh, brings the cost of the Model Y back up uh, now that crossovers are considered SUVs. So that's a little bit of a complicating factor. And then to qualify, you as the purchaser have to earn less than $150,000 a year or less than $300,000 $300, a year if uh, married and filing jointly. And then the uh, $7,500 tax credit is split in half, so you get half a tax credit. If most of the battery's minerals come from the United States or one of our free trade partners, and you get the other half of the tax credit if most of the battery components are made and assembled in the United States. And that's all complicated, um, but the federal government will figure that out and then put out a list of here's the models and makes that qualify for how much of the tax credits. So you don't have to like research it yourself. You just have to look at which models qualify for which of the tax credits. There is a bit of a loophole uh, in that uh, the government decided that um, basically car dealers can purchase vehicles as commercial vehicles and commercial vehicles have a $7,500 tax credit of their own. And then they can lease those uh, purchased vehicles to individual purchasers. And so they can then take credit of that, take, uh, take advantage of that $7,500 tax credit and then lower the sticker price or lower the monthly lease uh, amount. So you could potentially end up that commercial tax credit, I should say, 
doesn't have any of these uh, criteria for being made in the United States and uh, free trade partners. It's any EV qualifies for that tax credit. And so if you shop around, you might be able to get potentially a better deal on a leased EV than on purchasing a new EV. It's something to be to keep in mind when you're doing your uh, shopping around for EVs. And then another nice feature here is that in 2024, all these tax credits will be transferable to auto dealers. And so the auto, de auto dealer gets a tax credit and then they discount the price of the of the vehicle upfront. And so you don't have to worry about any of these tax credits or you know what your tax liability is or anything like that. The auto dealer takes care of that and then you just get lower prices on the sticker price. So it's for our purposes, it basically makes them an upfront discount, which makes life a whole lot easier. And so 2024 and there on forward, it might be a little bit easier to buy an EV at that point. And there will probably be more EVs available at that point too. And then there is a used EV tax credit as well. Again, there's no rebates, just tax credits for used EVs. Uh, this is section 25E of the tax code. And the tax credit is for the lesser of $4,000 or 30% of the sales price. Uh, used EV sale prices are very high, so it's probably just gonna be $4,000. And the used EV has to meet these criteria. So you as the purchaser have to be earning less than $75,000 per year or $150,000 per year if married and filing jointly. The EV has to be at least two years old. The price of the EV can't exceed $25,000. I was just interesting. I read a story about some uh, dealerships in, I think, Oregon that they were going to sell some used EVs for like $27,000 and they lowered the price to $25,000 so that they could qualify for this tax credit. And then they sold like that, of course. Uh, the weight of the EV has to be less than $14,000, which basically means like it can't be a bus or some really heavy duty vehicle, but all cars and SUVs and trucks qualify for that. The battery capacity has to be at least seven kilowatt hours, uh, which is like a 32 mile uh, range roughly, which basically means a lot of plug-in hybrids will qualify for this used EV tax credit. So something to bear in mind if you're interested in a plug-in hybrid. Uh, you have to purchase the used EV though from a dealership and it has to be the first transfer so you're the second owner, not including the dealership. Um, so basically somebody sold it to the dealership and the dealership sold it to you. That's the only time that you can get the tax credit. But there is no made in North America or sourcing requirements, every used EV will qualify for this tax credit if it meets those criteria. And again, in 2024, the nice thing is the tax credits are transferable to the dealer. And so the dealer will just take that tax credit and reflect the uh, discount in the sticker price. And so that will make it a little bit easier. So you don't have to worry about, again, your tax liability. You can just get a lower price on your uh, EV, your used EV purchase. Then there is an EV charger incentive as well. Uh, it is again a tax credit, section 30C of the tax code. It is for up to $1,000 if you're living in a non-urban or low-income community. Um, and I've got some criteria what who qualifies as a low-income community on the slide here. It's a little bit complicated, but uh, basically a lot of places are either non-urban or low-income. Um, so again, just use the Rewiring America calculator and see if you qualify based on your information for this EV charger tax credit. So then let's talk about rooftop solar and batteries. Uh, we love rooftop solar because it produces zero emissions electricity. Again, people ask, what about the mining for the silicon and other materials that goes into the solar panels? And yes, that has some environmental and climate impact, but again, it only happens once. You mine them, you put them, manufacture them into the solar panel, 
and you install them and then they're just there soaking up sunlight and it's great. So there is a small footprint, but it's much smaller than digging up more coal and drilling for more gas and burning them constantly in a never ending cycle. Uh, another nice thing is that um, a solar panel will, because you're getting your own electricity, it's guarding against fluctuating rates from your electric utility, which again, we saw in one of those first slides, it doesn't fluctuate a whole lot, but it does fluctuate a bit. So you don't have to worry about that as much if you have solar panels. And if you're able to also install battery storage, then when the power goes out, you can use your batteries and you don't have to worry about power outages, which is very nice, especially in parts of the country that are vulnerable to power outages. So the incentives here, again, there's no rebates, but there are tax credits and they're under Section 25D of the tax code. Nice thing about these is that they're uncapped. So however much your solar and or battery installation costs, you get a tax credit for 30% of that cost. So for example, if you install a six kilowatt solar system that on average costs about $15,000, you get a 30% tax credit for that. Your tax credit is worth about $4,600. Uh, a nice thing is that if you need an electrical panel upgrade, if you do that in conjunction with installing a rooftop uh, solar system, then you also get a 30% uncapped tax credit for that electrical panel upgrade. And then there's the same 30% uh, uncapped tax credit if you install a battery storage system. And so an average 10 kilowatt hour battery storage system costs something like $16,000. And so a 30% tax credit is worth $4,800. And so these are expensive things, but if you can uh, afford them, then you get really big tax credits associated with them. And then I mentioned electrical panel upgrades, and we also might need wiring upgrades because we're doing a lot of electrification here. And you might install uh, an induction stove that might require 240 volt outlets and uh, a heat pump water heater might require a, a 240 volt outlet. And so you might need some wiring upgrades and some electrical panel upgrades. Um, it's a good idea before you do these upgrades to talk to an electrician and say, you know, if I do this, what will I require? Can I do it before I do these installations so that my wiring and my panel are ready to go when I get these appliances? Um, so try to be proactive if you can. So for these upgrades, HERA does have upfront discounts. Again, once, once HERA comes into effect, there will be a rebate up to $4,000 for uh, electrical panel upgrade and for electrical wiring upgrade up to $2,500. And again, that's 100% coverage for low-income households up to those amounts and 50% coverage for middle-income households up to those amounts. And there is also a tax credit, Section 25C of the tax code, a 30% tax credit available for these electrical panel and wiring upgrades uh, up to $600 per year um, and resetting every year. Uh, that the EPA has these uh, climate pollution reduction grants that are becoming available to states and uh, municipalities. Um, so, and uh, the process is starting very soon. So the idea is that they're trying to get every state and all the largest uh, municipal areas to create climate action programs. Um, and then so, uh, climate action plans, sorry. And once they, so you can either have your state and or uh, municipality create and or update their climate action plan is step one. And there's like $250,000, I think for that. And so it's basically like they're offering $3 million for each state to create or upgrade a climate action plan and $1 million for each of the largest municipalities to create or upgrade the climate action plan. 
And then once that's done, then they offer $4.6 billion to help implement those climate action plans. So the issue is that it's a very quick process. By March 31st, every state has to issue a notice of intent to participate in this, in this grant process. Uh, and every metro area has to, uh, yeah, met metropolitan area has to uh, issue the notice by April 28th. And then there's application deadlines a month later. And there's also uh, the same thing for tribes and territories. So if you're interested uh, in making sure that your state and or metropolitan area participates, uh, I would go over to the electrification action teams page, which Britt will put in the chat or probably already has put in the chats because they will have more information about this. And because the timeline is so short, you really want to get the jump on this if you want to participate and make sure your state and or metro area we have our chance to log that training. I've put that link in the chat. You can just go to the link to log your training, then click chapter and volunteer development, then training. And then the title of tonight's training is Home Electrification and Efficiency Opportunities for the IRA. Click on that and you will get credit for being here tonight. I think that for the next slide, we can give it all a huge round of applause again for Dana for presenting tonight. We are so honored to have your participation in tonight's training. We hope you found tonight's uh, coverage useful and empowering. And if you have any interest in sharing the slides, I put again a link in the chat where you can find those. You are more than welcome to click and select make a copy for your own opportunities locally. Let us know your feedback in the forums. If you just go to cclusa.org forward slash forums, we'd love to hear what's working for you in your own experiences. And again, thank you all for your wisdom tonight. I'm gonna to unmute all lines so that we can thank Dana and close tonight with a big round of applause for our 100 plus attendees in empowering each of us in our opportunities to outreach. Thank you again, Dana, have a great night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.